You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the presence and the power of Christ that's resting here in this congregation, God, called your church, North Valley. Lord, we pray for the opportunity where we look at your word this morning and we ask in the name of Christ that you would do great things, move areas of darkness out from our hearts and our minds. In the name of Christ, we pray this. Be it done, be it your will for your glory and our good. Everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for being here this morning, guys. Let's give Ian and the worship team a round of applause. That is fun. Hey, uh, if you're new here, I'm glad you're here. My name's Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at North Valley. We are wrapping up the book of James. And so, man, it's been a really good, refreshing, challenging time, hasn't it, Uh, in the book of James. Um, This morning, as you walked in, you probably got one of these bookmarks. I want to encourage you to use that as an opportunity on how you learn how to study the Bible. And so, uh, especially when we do book studies like what we just uh, are wrapping up here this morning, uh, this is what you want to be using. This is what I use is how I study the Bible, observation, interpretation, and then application. What I deliver to you on a Sunday morning is the application of God's Word, because I've already worked through all the observation and the interpretation, and so you get the, the end result. Uh, Each week, I spend about 20 to 30 hours on a message so that you can be encouraged and equipped to live out a Christ-centered life, and uh, I hope that you are growing in your faith as a result of being a part of North Valley. Um, As well, on the back of this this little bookmark that you received, it has daily prayer topics. This morning, I'm going to be talking to you about the importance of prayer uh, from God's Word as James addresses the church. Uh, that scattered out throughout the Roman Empire in the first century in telling them that the, the pathway to perseverance is absolutely prayer. The way you get through hard times is prayer. God uses prayer to strengthen you in your faith, to help you overcome the challenges that you're going through. Additionally, before I forget, I want to encourage you on your program, which you've got there at the bottom, those of you that are new, you can fill this out. It's your Connect card. Drop it in the offering plate as it comes around. If you want us to know you you were here, if you've got a prayer request on the back, you can fill that out. For those of you that say, hey, I want to be a part of a prayer team, there's a section there at the very bottom when it says, I'd like to have find out more information about praying for others. Um, this morning, all we're, we're doing is we're going to be talking about the God, how God uses prayer, the purpose of prayer. And so we have prayer teams here at North Valley. The church was started with prayer. And the church continues in prayer. The church will end in prayer. And so my wife and I laid out a map on a kitchen table about seven years ago and started praying for cities around the country and around the world as to where God would have us go. And it was through a process of prayer and research and counsel that God led us here to North Phoenix. Uh, We have a prayer team. We've always continued in the heart of prayer here at North Valley. And uh, we have a prayer team that uh, we invite you to be a part of that. If you'd like to receive prayer or if you'd like to be on a team for prayer, make sure you fill that out. And uh, we'd love to help you get going more and more in your life with Christ and being able to pray for others. Let's do this. We're in the book of James. Um, You can turn there, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. And before we get started, I want to help you remember the 12 habits of holiness 
uh, through the book of James. Uh, We've learned in this series, this is a 16-part series, and really James highlighted 12 specific habits of holiness that we needed. The first week, James started out his letter, and he called himself a servant of God, and we learned that we need to get into the habit of serving like Jesus. Then we looked at the part two is the finding joy in the hard times. Part three, learning how to love the poor. Part four, overcoming trials. Part five, trusting God the Father. Part six, learning how to get into the habit of not only hearing God's word, but doing God's word. Part six, or part seven, learning how to love orphans. Part eight, using words that matter. Pastor uh, Justin Anderson came and preached that message and did a phenomenal job. Uh, Part nine, wisdom from above. Part 10, learning how to do business God's way. Uh, Part 11, learning how to practice patience. And this morning, uh, or I I should say these are habits. And then in the habit 12 would be praying with purpose. So this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about is the purpose of prayer. Let's go ahead and stand together for God's word. I'll read it aloud, and then I'll walk through the text and show you five purposes of prayer from the book of James. We're going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20 this morning. We'll close this uh, section out, and it will conclude our, our study in the book of James this morning. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. What a great treasure it is. We pray, God, that we would understand the purpose of prayer more and more in this church and in our own personal lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ, amen. Five purposes of prayer. Number one, prayer renews. In verse 13, James asks some questions, but I want to spend the time just to illustrate this point really quickly. Years ago, I uh, had the opportunity uh, to go down. I was, uh, um, I was a college student down in Waco, Texas, kind of a crazy religious historical environment. You had David Koresh down there. Thank goodness I was not associated with that guy. Uh, down in Waco, Texas, and, and uh, my friends were going to Baylor, and we were part of a really wonderful church down there called Antioch Community Church. It was the church that sent out the missionaries, you might have remembered, uh, years ago, back in the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, uh, Dana Curry and Heather Mercer. And they were missionaries to Afghanistan, and they were imprisoned. 
And our church was just a church of young college students that had a great fire for Christ. They loved Christ and they loved God's word, and, but they were more charismatic than me. And what I mean by charismatic is they prayed and like people got healed and they, they went on mission trips and they did this stuff. And it was a little, a little unnerving for a Bible church boy, okay? So like I'm a Bible church guy, like the Bible is everything. And then, you know, all the miracles, all that stuff, you're just a little nervous. So I, uh, I saw the fruit in this church though. And, and one of the things they were doing is they were praying all the time. They'd have... You know, they, had, they would have what we call, they called it Holy Spirit parties on Friday night. College students would get together and have a Holy Spirit party. And I'm like, well, it's better than getting drunk, you know. So, I, you know, my former life on Friday night, I promise you we weren't just spending time in prayer, you know. So this seemed like a healthy alternative. Spend time with Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, these are the kind of Christians I was around and, and so they were studying prayer in the church, and I remember I went to my room one day, and I studied prayer, and I had the Bible, and I had the Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem, and those are the most two important books in my life outside of the Bible, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. This thing is awesome. If I was banned, if I was, if I was uh, sentenced to an island, that's what I would ask for, a Bible and Grudem's Systematic Theology. So I'm in my room and I'm praying and I say to God, I say, hey God, anything you want to show me in my time of prayer this morning to minister to somebody, to renew them, then I want you to bring it to my mind right now. So I asked the Lord, would you help me? I want to, I want to bless somebody. So, you know, in the charismatic circles, they say, uh, I've received a word from the Lord. And then in the Baptist circles, they say, the Lord put impress something on my heart. And they mean the same thing. They absolutely mean the same things. I got, I got Baptist friends, Pentecostal friends, Baptist, whatever. You know, like I'm, I'm not in a camp. I'm in the Jesus camp. We pray, we read the Bible, we expect God to do great things. So I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm doing the Baptist mode. I'm like, impress something upon my heart, Lord. You know, my friends are in the other room. Bring down the fire of God and give me a word, you know. I'm like, oh, great, hallelujah. Impress something on my little heart, Lord. So uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm praying, and all of a sudden, a picture of my sister comes to mind, and just a sense of that she was just depressed and discouraged. And I didn't know how she was doing. She was living in St. Louis, Missouri at the time. And so I said, you know, oh, Lord, I thought, oh, if this is you, then, you know, tell me what to do. And so I'm sitting there in prayer, and I feel like he says, you know what I want you to do, Ryan, is I want you to send her some flowers and I want you to give her this scripture, give her this encouragement. Because, you know, I'm a Bible church boy, so I'm going to give her the Bible. So I say, okay. So I just kind of do a little research, figure out where the flower shop is around St. Louis. And I, I call this little flower shop and I say, hey, my name's Ryan. I'm down in Waco, Texas. And I'm sending my sister flowers. And she said, oh, that's so sweet. What's the occasion? And I said, well, there really is no occasion other than I was just praying and I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just wanted to send this verse to her and these flowers to her. And she said, okay, what's the verse? And I started reading it out. And honestly, I'd like to tell you, I remembered the verse. I don't remember the verse. But I do remember this, and this girl was writing it down word for word, and then silence hit the phone, and then I could hear her crying. She was bawling. 
And I said, uh, hello? And she said, I asked the Lord this morning if he would show me a sign that he still loves me and cares for me. And I feel burnt out, beat up, rock bottom in my faith. And this morning, God used you to call, to write this passage of scripture. This passage has been such a key passage in my life. And God's used this to renew me in my faith. I said, well, hallelujah. And uh, so he sent her, the, sent her the verse. And I just told her, I said, well, that was the Lord. You know, I was praying and the Lord put this verse on my heart and my mind. And I sent it to my sister. My sister was like, yeah, that's great. Cool. Thanks for thinking about me. <laughs> I was like, well, God used it for the girl that wrote the scripture. So prayer renews. James says, here's a question. Is anyone among you suffering? Christians in James's day were suffering physically from religious persecution. They were suffering from medical illnesses. It was not incredible John C. Lincolns and Banner Thunderbirds. It was just little houses and people that knew some kind of uh, form of practice of medicine at some primitive state. People were suffering financial loss, bankruptcy, uh, Christians had been persecuted in Jerusalem and started to scatter throughout the Roman Empire and try to rebuild. Christians were suffering spiritually as well. Many of the Christians that James is writing to were burnt out. They were spiritually bankrupt. They had no faith at all. Uh, They had a social faith, but not a genuine saving faith. Some of the Christians were backsliding. They started well in their relationship with Christ and had good intentions, but, you know, like some preachers have said is, you know, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, I mean, good intentions don't get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is the cross of Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of these guys were were backsliding and struggling. Uh, They did not genuinely believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. And some of them were just bottomed out spiritually. They just were feeling there at rock bottom. And James says, here's what you do. You let him pray. Why? Because prayer renews things. It actually revives and renews the spiritual life. And as we're going to see here this morning, it can revive and restore physically as well. I said earlier that prayer is the pathway to perseverance. Prayer is the pathway to renewal. God uses prayer to help you renew, and it's prayer that will get you through. When I met with Pastor Saeed, the Iranian pastor, he said that in his times of persecution and physical suffering and torment, he said he would just pray all the more. And I'm like, well, what else did you have to do, Saeed? I mean, you're locked in jail. And he'd say, exactly. It was God's grace for me to pray. And then he would talk about worshiping. He would worship in jail. James says, is anyone of you cheerful? Let him sing praise. A lot of times prayer and praise go together. And that's what we try to do here at North Valley is give you the opportunity to sing praises to God. And it's so important. When you're happy, you give praise to God. And it fills you up. It encourages you. God, the first purpose of prayer is that it renews you spiritually. Remember years ago, uh, when my wife and I were exploring and planning a church in Madrid, Spain, we were driving in the north country of Spain, the Basque country, and we were 
headed to Barcelona, and I had just got done preaching in uh, right near Pamplona, and I was teaching. It was so cool. I was teaching on uh, Jesus, the good shepherd, and I was in these hills, and I was told this local shepherd guy said, hey, in a little bit, you know, when all these, all these kids and all these families are out, and I'm teaching on the good shepherd, I want you to get a couple sheep and just come up the hill. And this guy didn't understand what I meant because I guess I didn't speak good Spanish. So he brings like two or three herds of sheep. (laughs) And I'm like standing in the midst of this herd of sheep preaching on the I am the good shepherd from Jesus. I'm like, man, this is awesome, man. Uh, We're driving though, and I'm so filled up and joyful. I feel like the Lord's gonna spend my life on international missions and church planting, wherever it may be. And we're open-handed, God take me wherever. And my boy and I are singing Chris Tomlin's song, How Great Is Our God. And, you know, uh, at the time, he was probably four years old. So, Dad, you know what I mean? You're driving the car, and you kind of just put the hand in the back and let that little tiny hand grab your finger. And I'm driving. I'm singing, how great is our God. You know, I won't sing anymore, but, you know. (laughs) We're singing this song, and I'm just, my heart is filled with praise, and I'm so renewed, Lord. Whatever you want to do, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and we're just singing praise. And James, and you're, you know, the, when you're doing that, it's all wrapped up in prayer, too. First purpose of prayer is that prayer renews. Second purpose, prayer restores, verses 14 through 16. He says, is anyone among you sick? That phrase, that word sick, unlocked all sorts of interpretation for me this week because in the Greek, it's used 14 times to, to be referred to spiritual matters, spiritual sickness, meaning spiritually burnt out, um, sick spiritually. You're just dried up. But it's used another 18 times to refer to physical matters. So meaning like there's a medical problem. And I think in the context of James, what we see is that James is addressing both. He's addressing the physically sick. He's addressing the spiritually sick. He says, is anyone among you sick? And he says, let him call the elders of the church. Why call the elders? Well, in this context, I think probably because the matter was so great in the local church in James's context, that the elders are shepherds. They're the ones that help oversee some of the big problems in the church. And very likely this individual, as we're going to learn, was bedridden, physically sick, and they couldn't get out of bed. And so when you're bedridden and terribly sick, all sorts of spiritual problems kind of begin to manifest themselves too because you're discouraged. You're, you're on your back and you can't get up. There's a commercial about that. Help them on my back and can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up. Okay, never mind. So let me tell you a story. Paul Stevenson was an elder down at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, a great church I loved. They loved the Bible, but they believed that God still could work miracles and all sorts of things. And uh, this lady had cancer. I was a youth pastor at the time, and Paul Stevenson was a great godly man. And uh, he went to the hospital, and he went with some other elders, and they prayed for this woman. And they prayed that she would be healed because she was um, dying of cancer. And God, in his sovereign grace, decided to heal this woman. And our little um, Bible, heavy, heady, 
thinking, you know, Christian culture was kind of rocked by this reality that Christ actually could heal people. This woman was healed and she had no more cancer. And Paul Stevenson would report to the church. He stood up and shared one day, and I'm just a young youth pastor kid, never seen this kind of stuff before. And I see, and I hear this, that Pastor Paul prayed for this woman and she was healed. And the woman testified and the doctors verified. And Paul's response was, you know, in, in Corinthians, it talks about all sorts of spiritual gifts. And Paul had the gift of faith. And we're going to read about that this morning from James's perspective, the prayer of faith. And Pastor Paul had kind of this, from time to time, these encounters where God would reveal his purposes and his plan for a situation and a context only for his glory. And Paul would go in faith and pray. And he'd say out of nine to 10 people that he'd pray for to get healed, um, maybe one would get healed. And this morning, what we're going to see is that God uses um, not only spiritual leaders such as elders to do incredible things, but he uses ordinary people just like you and me. He says, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him. That idea of praying over means, to me, if you took it into context, somebody is laying down, and so uh, uh, an elder or a pastor would come up and lay over the bedridden, backslidden, whatever it may be, the person that is physically sick or spiritually sick, and you pray over them. I don't think it's metaphorical that James is saying praying over. I think it's literal. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary. We were taught to train in how to study the Bible and its grammatical, historical, original context, literal. And so you take the idea of being prayed over, that means that you're not praying over because you're better, but praying over physically. There's a person laying down and you put your hands on them and you pray for them. And I think that's what's going on here in the context. But then he says, praying over them indicates really it's a, it's a sick person. It's somebody who's bedridden. It could be the woman who has cancer. It could be the, uh, the, the, the mom who's bedridden because she's about to have a baby, whatever may be the case. And then he says, let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Olive oil was a very um, practical a medical um, remedy for many people that would have been physically hurt. And it has all sorts of uh, medical usages. You know, today we have, my wife recently started into the essential oils things, you know, and um, it's funny, at my household, you can take a little lavender oil and it can soothe and help you go to sleep. Uh, every night we have little Maya and we, I read to her the, the, the storybook Bible. And uh, she loves the little this Bible. She says, Daddy, Daddy, read me the Bible. And I'm like, man, I'm learning a lot here as I'm reading. I'm like, what I'm learning with you, Maya, I got to teach to our church. Uh, Mom, Dad, you want to grow in biblical literacy, read your children, read to your children. Uh, the Storybook Bible is a very Christ-centered book. Maya loves it. And then, uh, you know, though, Maya will say, Daddy, Daddy, call Mom and have her, um, we have essential oils and we put on the lavender oil and it helps just soothe and helps go to sleep. Maya doesn't call it oil, she calls it potion. She says, Daddy, tell Mama to bring that potion. I'm like, Leslie, <laughs> Maya wants the potion. 
This is what Maya looks like after we give her the potion. Let me show you the picture. I think we got a picture. Is it coming up? Where was she sleeping? There it is. That's the after effects. James says, do this, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, medicine was primitive at that time. I don't think anybody would disagree. We're talking about the first century. Uh, pastors and elders would have been called upon not only to care for people spiritually, but also to care for people uh, physically. You know, when Jesus sends out his disciples, he actually tells them to go anoint them with oil and pray for them for them to be healed. And so one thing that really kind of unlocks into my mind here is I read this text is the unity between modern-day medicine and prayer. And if in the first century they're using oils to help be a part of a healing process, say the person was persecuted, whipped, or whatever, this oil would have soothed the wounds. But then in the same time, the pastor, the elder, whatever, goes and he not only anoints this person with oil, and literally the the Greek phrasing there is rubbing oil onto the person. And it's not just this symbolic like little action. It's like literally applying that stuff. So if there was physical persecution of some sort going on and this oil would soothe the wound, how comforting that is to be cared for and shepherds care for the sheep, right? But then you can't dismiss the spiritual side. The the, uh, depression or the discouragement that settles in when you're being persecuted or when you're going through hardship. Recently, in 2007, I was down at Dallas Theological Seminary, and Tommy Nelson, a famous uh, Texan pastor, stood up on March 27th and gave a message called, A Christian Looks at Depression. I encourage you to search it on YouTube. It's called, A Christian Looks at Depression by Tommy Nelson. It was March 27th, 2007. I was there in that chapel, and Tommy Nelson goes on to talk about depression and how he weathered that storm among Charles Spurgeon, among Alfred Lord Tennyson, among Sir Isaac Newton, among Martin Luther, among Charles Stanley, all the greats in many ways went through depression. My father serves as a Christian psychiatrist. Depression is a real deal. I think this passage in James is a helpful passage for me to understand how to interpret and apply God's word. That if there's a physical problem or a psychological problem because the mind is physical, then we apply two different methods. One is medicine because everything good comes from God, according to St. Augustine. All good things are God things. And then we apply prayer because prayer is from God and for God's purpose to help us renew and restore things. And so I do not see a great divide. I see a great um, unity in the usage of medicine and in spiritual matters. Not just now, but even starting back in the very first century and even starting back with Jesus' disciples. And so it is with the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is given oil to help remedy, but the Good Samaritan needs Uh, spiritual influence for the good as well. And so this 
passage has really helped me understand the incredible purpose that God uses both prayer and medicine to restore all believers. Amen. Amen? And so in this church, let it be known that if you're struggling with any kind of mental illness, we see it as a, an opportunity for God to apply his modern-day graces through medicine, coupled with prayer, for your restoration. And so where the church has been quiet, we will speak up, because it adds clarity to God's word and relieves and renews people. And in such a time as this, I read recently, I think it was Forbes magazine, 80% of all CEOs in the Fortune 500 companies struggle from depression. Uh, Many Christians go through quietly in desperation, struggling with depression. And so could it be that God in his goodness and his grace could provide modern day medicine and prayer to heal and restore you? So recently, I went to the hospital to pray for one of our North Valley members who has cancer, and I prayed. I prayed for healing. I don't know if she will be healed. Oftentimes, God chooses not to heal. It's not our, it's not our, God, we don't control things. But at the same time, I prayed for that medicine to heal her body. Because God, in his common grace, has extended wisdom and knowledge for us to utilize things such as medicine to help heal and restore the body. And so it is with both that we should apply. Prayer restores, according to James. Let's do this. Look, look further in verse 15. James clarifies the power of prayer and miracles. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. This prayer of faith is made by those who are, have the spiritual gift of what I call a faith. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This prayer of faith is made by the person that has a, a absolute knowledge of God's will, what he wants to accomplish. I've spent very little time with people with this kind of gift because it's more, what I would say, sporadic rather than systematic that we see miracles today. In the first century, I think we saw so many miracles, and I think in ages back before the time of Christ, you see so many massive miracles, is because God's establishing his kingdom, his rule, and his reign. Did you know that James was, according to many scholars, the very first New Testament book that we have? Today, we have all of God's revealed authority in his word. Miracles are oftentimes a declaration of God's demonstration and his power and who he is. I went to a seminary that was been called a cessationist. It means that all the gifts have ceased. And I studied Bible and I studied theology. I got two master's degrees in three years. Whew, it was hard. And I uh, came here and the seminary asked you to sign a cessationist view that all gifts, miracles, all that has ceased. And I, I didn't, uh, the faculty had to sign it. The students didn't have to sign it. Yet I pulled many of my mentors aside, heads of theology departments, and they would say, they don't, they don't, they don't uphold that entirely. And they would give explanations as to how God can use miracles. You go to remote parts of Africa, and I think you'll see miracles. Why? God's establishing his rule and his reign. Why doesn't he do that in America? It's a good question. I think he does. I think it's more sporadic than it is systematic. But the prayer of faith is one in James, and understanding James is that prayer of faith is one that's made by those gifted with the spiritual gift of faith. They have a gift 
to understand what God's will is. And if God wills it, it will be done. He says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. I think that means physically. Uh, He will raise him up. He's on the bed. He'll be able to get up. He says we'll save the one who's sick. This means physically. And the Lord will raise him up. And look who gets the credit. The Lord gets the credit. From the sick bed, the person who's restored physically, he will raise him up. But then James also addresses the spiritual needs. And look what it says. And if, the big word is if, if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. In other words, pastors should pray for more faith, to have a boldness of faith. And so my only regret in visiting my dear friend recently is that I didn't ask God for more faith before I went and prayed. God can do anything he wants. God is omnipotent. It means he's all-powerful. That's the God we serve. And so our posture ought to be is, God, you are absolutely capable. If you want to do this, please do it. Please. If you choose not to heal by your miraculous power, would you use medicines to heal and restore this person? And both, I think you could think theologically, are God's good, good graces. And what if he chooses not to do it at all? The Bible says God's ways are higher than your ways. Sometimes a loss of a loved one may be God's redemptive plan for a greater picture that you and I will never understand. At the end of the day, God's sovereign, we're not. He's king, we're servants. We trust in a God. We are called to have faith. So he says, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Pastors should pray for those to be forgiven. Number three, prayer reconciles. Verse 16, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you may be healed. The phrase one another is used all throughout the Bible 59 times in the New Testament. And here James says, confess your sins to one another. That'll help heal you emotionally and spiritually. Pray for healing. When you go through this process of prayer and confession, there's something that happens that's being reconciled where you're at odds with God. Now you feel you're in, in, in good fellowship with God or when you're at odds with another person, when you pray and you confess that sin, you don't feel that tension anymore. And even in your marriage, if you get into a hard conversation or a conflict or a fight and you're not doing well, you're at odds against each other. What you ought to do, James teaches us, is that prayer can be used to reconcile. You go into your room, you pray, you ask the Lord, God, what have I done that's sinful, that's wrong, that violates your, your law, your righteousness? And you find out, you know what? The Holy Spirit impresses upon your little heart and you realize that you've sinned against your spouse and you confess that to the Lord, then you go to your spouse and you confess that to your spouse and your spouse, Lord willing, says, I forgive you, I love you. And then he or she says back, forgive me, I confess my sin to you. And what happened right there was reconciliation. And then you pray together and then there's this healing and holiness that sits upon your marriage. And that's what James is after. Prayer is the pathway to reconciliation and healing. And so this happens in parenting when we have conflict with our kids. We confess sin to one another. I I am not a perfect parent. And all you guys would say, oh, we know, Ryan. You've told lots of stories. 
you're not a perfect parent. Nobody's perfect. No perfect people allowed at North Valley, okay? If you're perfect, just go ahead and move on out. <laughs> the only perfect person is Jesus. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Literally, that means great power. That means that there's great energy, that it's the word in the Greek means energy. It means strong. You ever been around these kind of people before? Like you pray, they start praying and you're like, whoa, whoo, I want some of that, man. They just have incredible power. Strong Christians have strong prayers. Weak Christians have weak prayers. The stronger you are in your faith, the more effective you'll be in your ministry, your marriage, and your work, and all that stuff. The weaker you are in your faith, the weaker you will be in prayer life. God uses prayer as a pathway for reconciliation and a demonstration of his power. We have a prayer team at North Valley. If you need prayer today, write out at the very bottom on the back of that connect card, just say, I want, I want to be prayed for by this prayer team. Or if you just want me to know and you want me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. That prayer team's strong. That prayer team's got us through so many different things. God chooses to use people. He's, James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power, not just a little power, but great power as it is working. We always ask our prayer team to pray for our services, pray for our mission efforts, pray for our planning, pray for our, everything that we do. We want it bathed in prayer, saturated in prayer. Number four, James tells us the fourth purpose of prayer is found in verses 17 through 18. Prayer reminds. When we pray, don't, how many times, when you start praying, it reminds you of the people that you need to pray for. You're in the middle of a prayer and you just start praying and you're like, Lord, I pray for this. And oh, I pray for that person, Lord. I pray for that person's need. And, and I pray for them and I pray for my children. I pray for my aunt. I pray for my uncle. You just keep going. Prayer reminds. God uses prayer to remind you of the things that he, he cares about, things we need to pray for. Prayer oftentimes reminds us, the Holy Spirit uses it, to recall to your mind biblical truths, biblical lessons, biblical things in your mind that you need to, to focus on. And I think James is under here the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he is inspired by God to write and record for us uh, this epistle. And he remembers a great example that will help guide us in prayer. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. A uh, nature like ours means this, is that Elijah's like you and me. Uh, James was reminded of Elijah. Elijah got tired, Kings records. Elijah got thirsty. Elijah got discouraged and depressed. Just like me and you, he had a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently, the Bible says. That literally means he like prayed prayer with prayer is what that means. And I don't even understand what that means. How do you pray prayer with prayer? But that's what, it, that's what it's interpreted as. Prayed fervently, reminding himself of God's promises, his power, all things that God's already done. He, Elijah prayed that it might not rain. In those days, agri uh, uh, the agricultural society was based much upon uh, how much a farmer could produce the fruit and all these things. And he, Elijah prayed that it might not rain as a demonstration of God's power. 
Uh, years ago when we had a baptism at Barry Goldwater High School, it was raining like cats and dogs. And uh, I prayed publicly in the congregation. I said, God, in your goodness, we pray that when we go outside for baptism that you would just hold the rain off just for a little bit. And because it was pouring down rain like monsoon season. And we went outside and guess what? No rain, just right around. I mean, it felt like a little holy Shekinah glory just shining down in the back of that Chevy pickup truck with the horse trough and the water filled up and we baptized a few people. That was a funny baptism that day because there was this one guy that uh, he just prayed to receive Christ and uh, he'd never been baptized before, so he didn't know. So he's just standing there in front of about 100 people. And he's like, slaps his hand. He's like, let's do this. And all of a sudden, he just takes off his shirt. And I'm like, woo, let's baptize you, buddy. Woo. Only at North Valley. James gives the details. He says, for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. James finishes the story of Elijah's prayer experience, and he says, then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain and bore its fruit. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Pray prayer with prayer. How did I do that? I don't know. Just trust me. That's what the Bible says. James chose a perfect illustration. Why? I think because it shows that God will use prayer to do incredible things, to bring like rain, a sense of renewal and passion and love and energy and healing and help to your life. Elijah prayed for rain and it rained. God wants to renew you. The fifth purpose of prayer is this, is prayer reaches. I think James being so saturated in prayer and calling his people to be so saturated in prayer, it reveals to us the fifth purpose of prayer. James charges those in the church to reach out to those outside the church as a result of their overflowing prayer life, they ought to reach out. Verse 19 says, my brothers, he's, he's teaching to the church. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, brings him back. The idea of wanders from the truth are those that have walked away from the faith. They started out with Christ and then they kind of quit. They started out in the church, but for one reason they left or another. And James kind of gives this exhortation to the people in the church, and he says, hey, you in the church, if anybody among you, if there's somebody here that wanders off from the truth, they kind of start running away from God, someone ought to bring them back. And you say, well, maybe what was the context, right? Well, James was also, his nickname was James the Just, and, you know, in this teaching series, man, I feel like I've laid it on you guys pretty hard, you know, a couple times. And my response has been, well, I'm trying to explain the text, you know, and give the very life and the very action and the very character of what James would do. I think James could have been telling his friends, he's like, hey, look, I know I've been hard on you guys. I know I've preached, you know, it feels like hellfire and brimstone a couple of times. So if anybody here sees somebody running out, tell them to bring them back. Bring them back. Uh, James says, bring them back. It means those that are wandering away from the Lord in the church. Verse 20 says, let him know whoever brings back a sinner, and sinner means somebody who is separated from God and is the goodness of God, doesn't know the grace of God, who's wandering 
will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you've got friends that have walked away from the church, they started out well and they've run back. James says, he clarifies to the church, he says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner. So he clarifies it really well. Um, but here, here's, here's what I don't want you to do. So your friend comes to North Valley, they hear me preach a, a tough message like we did one week, the snobnoxious message. That was a little tough for some of you. And, uh, and then you say, man, my friend never came back to church, Ryan. You were hard on him. And I go, oh, sorry. I'll pray for him. We'll be kind. Don't go get your friend and go, well, I brought back the sinner. That's what James says, you know, bring back the sinner. Hey, pastor, here's the sinner. Saw him out last night running around the town. Okay, here we go. So he says, uh, verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. What that means there is that literally if somebody is separated from Christ, they have no eternal joy awaiting them. For the sinner that is separated from God, if you stand here today and you go, I've never received Jesus Christ as Lord, what that means literally is that you're separated from God and this earth Although it may feel like a prison at times, it's as good as it gets for you. The sinner separated from God, this place called earth here and now is as good and glorious as it gets for the sinner separated from Christ. Because hell awaits death. The transition is life on earth to hell. And hell is a terrible place of torment and constant torture, never-ending, eternal, reoccurring pain and misery, as the Bible describes it. And so James says, if you save a person from that, it does an incredible work. It saves his soul. The soul is eternal. Every person on the planet has a soul. The soul lives on forever. You've got a soul. God made man in his image in his likeness, that means we share in the, some moral attributes and some godly attributes, and that soul lives on forever. The question is, is in what direction does that soul continue on after life on earth? Is it in heaven or is it in hell? And James makes a very serious claim. It says, anybody who brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Years ago, I was a raft guide, and my buddy... John Schroeder came in, and uh, we were going down the river, and there was class three and class four whitewater. I had him in the boat, and John was one of those overly confident Southerners. Thought he was, everything was bigger and better from Texas, and big tough guy. So I had him in the boat, and we were paddling through. We went through Zoom Flume, we went through Pinball, and then we came up on Widowmaker. And Widowmaker earned its name because it was a Widowmaker. And the guy, you know, we're going down and I hit one of these rocks I shouldn't have hit. And John flies out. And if he flies out, I knew that he would go into this uh, section called the goalpost where it would suck you underwater and crush you. And he falls out and I, he's about to go into the goalpost. These big rock stones, massive class three white water pushing him down and all I've got is John's feet in the boat and his, oh, his uh, upper torso is in the water. He's about to go into the goalpost. And I just reach out in a split second. 
I lean way over and I grab John. And the way to do it is, is you dunk him actually further underwater. So that's more terrifying because he's got a big class, like three white water vest on. You dunk him further underwater to create more buoyancy. So I pushed him in and all that's now on the, in the boat is his heels on the top of the tube. And he, I hear him like, yeah. I push him underwater and I throw him up and he just shoots in. I felt like a he-man, you know, for just a moment. And he says, you saved my life. I'm like, actually, I just about killed you. <laughs> you know, it was my fault you fell out. Um, the Bible says that when you invite people back to church and that when you invite people back into a relationship with Christ, you save their life. And then, you know, they tell you that. You, you saved my life. And really, the truth be known is, you know, God saves their life. God can save them. The Bible says it, it covers a multitude of sin. Sin always multiplies. It's the consequences of sin accrue over time. And James concludes the book for us to say how important it is that in your prayer, it begins to help you reach out. Amen? Let's pray. Invite Ian and the worship team up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word in the book of James. We finished it. Lord, I pray now we apply more of it. God, I pray that as we look into your word and reflect upon James, God, that we would be encouraged and exhorted. Father, I pray for those here today that they might stand as a sinner separated from Christ and they're afraid that they have no saving relationship. Their relationship with you is a social relationship. Lord, maybe today is the day where they take steps forward. Anybody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and not assured of their salvation, you can pray with me a silent prayer. Starts like this. Lord Jesus, I admit I've sinned. I have hurt you. I've hurt others. I'm tired of sinning. Lord, today I believe in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I want to be washed clean like the rain that comes down from heaven and cleanses me and makes me new. Lord, I believe in you. I believe in the power of the cross to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you raised from the dead and I want to be forgiven and made new. Lord, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I confess today that God Christ, you are the Lord over my whole life. And I pray this in the name of Christ. And for all of us, let us pray, Lord, renew us, restore us, revive us, use prayer in our life to be a pathway through perseverance that you might continue to use it to renew and restore and reconcile. And Lord, to move us out, to reach out to others. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a friend. Let that friend know. Or if you want us to know, you can let us know on the back of your Connect card. Just say, hey, today I prayed to start a relationship with Christ. And we want to help you get going. We're going to uh, worship together. Ian and Christina are going to lead us in a time of offering and communion and singing songs. And so I encourage you in this time, don't rush past it. Let's let God continue to work as we uh, worship here together this morning. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.